0: Hey, welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lellis, and glad you're here, glad you're listening, glad you're healthy. Hope you're healthy. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. Really hope everybody is healthy. I know that uh, right as we are going into the new year, this COVID was spiking everywhere and uh, lending us back to that feeling of unpredictability. And hoping as we emerge into 2022, there's a little stability One of the things I came to appreciate or really recognize at the end of the year, thinking about that and taking some inventory of, like, what was great about the year is seeing live theater in person. And, you know, it's funny, I counted and I saw 23 shows in person, which is not a lot for me, but really struck me because I, I realized that I appreciated it and, and just that energy of being in the room and just like the lights going down and, and having it be live and how much I value that and how much I hope we get to do that in 2022. But also as we move forward, I think about, you know, things, everybody, some people make resolutions and You know, I think just that idea of like thinking about what do you want to do? And I know I've talked about this very funny. I feel like I was about to repeat something and it sounded familiar. It sounded like, oh, something I'd said in New Year's before. You know, what are you going to do this year? What is your intention? And I think what I wanted to say is that there's a, gonna be open to what path it's going to take us on. You know, like what direction am I going to go? Well, what's available? What can I create? What form can it create? And if things aren't predictable, you know, if the old path isn't happening as much, if independent theater isn't happening as much, well, maybe I need to create that independent theater. And I need to create it in a way that is useful and productive and valuable to me. And I'm, you know, I'm looking. So that's one of the things is being intentional as always, but, uh, but remaining open to like what's possible, what's made available, and what opportunities can I create? uh, for myself and others. And I think that's, that's what I'm hoping for in 2022 is that we, you know, I think things are shifting and how we do things and how we build audiences, how we present work. And I think that's my new year's resolution. And my hope is that we remain open. And I, and I want to hear, you know, always what you're doing and what opportunities you're creating and, you know, what you need to create the work would help the farm can give, but also just, you know, what are you thinking about? How are you moving forward in these ever shifting times? And today's guest is uh, David Antuelo, who is a great uh, actor, writer, teacher, but he also is a uh, fight and intimacy director for theater. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Dave is because yeah, I have a fight director on, but also talking about being open to change and other possibilities. You know, he was pursuing acting and he got the opportunity, you'll hear him talk about it, of staging a fight for the theater company for Labyrinth and, and eventually charting a whole path where he runs Uncle Dave's Fight House and founded it and started it and it was really built. And you'll hear us talk at the beginning that he, he was the fight director for Annie Live, the TV version of the live version of the musical. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, it was really great. Dave is always great to talk to. He's thoughtful and fun. And But I liked hearing about that unexpected path and a whole career that came out of it. And I think it seemed appropriate as we're turning into a new year of like, oh, what's the unexpected path? What's, what's going to be made available to us that we may be, and like he had, he had the skill set for it. And, and it's a door opened. And I think that's the thing to be aware of for the coming years the doors opening and opportunities presenting themselves and for us to take them. With that, I'm excited to share the conversation with you and I'm glad you're listening and uh, play ball.
1: They booked me, they booked me as a fight consultant for three dates and, um, I had never worked in television as in that capacity before uh, uh, as, a, as a fight consultant. Um, and I really didn't know the show because uh, I had never seen it. I had never, I, I knew what it was about because I read the comic strip, but but I had I, never seen the movie. And um, so everything happened really fast. And it turned out Lear, um, the Bessonet, the director, had requested me. And I had worked with Lear uh, twice before on uh, Lucy Thurber's Monstrosity and at the Delacorte at Midsummer Night's Dream as a fight choreographer. And she asked for me. And so I said, so when I walked in the room, I said, "I said, you're why I'm here, right? And she goes, yeah, <laughs> I go, thank you. <laughs> and, and so we made, we made, she told me what she wanted. And we made a a nice little fight uh, with these very young actors who were like Olympic level gymnasts. Um, And it was fast and furious. And I was very happy with it. They're very easy to work with. And then uh, when my first day on set for rehearsal, uh, producers uh, said, we need to cut in half. And I was like, ooh. (laughs) <laughs> it was so good and so we cut it in half and then and then the third day I was there they're like we still need it shorter we still need it shorter and but um, you know it, we we did it and 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 um I, I I learned how to like like instantly reconfigure a fight to get to kind of like the the heart of things to make a, a statement that looks good on screen um and, uh, I have a lot, I have a lot of people to think for that like working quickly uh, you know th- at the new group they they tell me like you have 20 minutes make this make this happen <laughs> and and my brain thinks in pictures and so like I can really like kind of edit everything myself and envision the screen and and then I say okay I, if we pick it up here that's what the camera's going to see and then It'll, it'll make the statement. So I started off with a big statement first, which the producers liked and kept, and then turned it into the, the tussle and the tumble on the floor, uh, which they wanted. And so, so like I was able to, to skip the setup of the fight and the, 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 the misses. I like misses and fights, so people
0: dodge. The reality of it.
1: Yeah, and, and just got to the big statement. And so uh, that's what happened. And then I was very happy. They kept it and they kept my second little moment. And then they, kept, they gave me a credit at the end. So I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be credited at the end.
0: Yeah, well, I imagine the reason they're cutting it too is they're doing the live thing and, you know, they, they can't go over.
1: Yeah, it was the first time I saw a script where like commercials were built into it. And so I said, oh, this is really fascinating. And and I was like, so everything has to be really timed like to the second. And and so I knew, like when they said we needed another four seconds shorter for that little fight. And so I knew how to do that, Uh, but it was only through years of of being asked to do, you know, on the spot editing by a lot of directors in theater. Um, I wouldn't have been ready for that job five years ago at all.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm going to talk about acting and coming to New York, but how did you start with fight directing?
1: The lab. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, as, as as you know, I was a martial artist for a long time. And um, so one day, uh, David Deblinger, uh, I can't remember if he emailed me or called me and he says, hey, we're working on the Shanley piece. And um, there's a a cop who beats somebody with a nightstick. Um, do you know how to do something like that, Dave? And I was all like, yeah, that, that's basically like a scream of stick, uh, you know, drills that we do in class. So yeah, I, I can do that. And so I went in there and um, we did it and it was easy and fun. <clears throat> and that was, that was my first time. I just did it as a favor. And um, then when lab uh, came around to do you um, Uh, Guinea Pig Solo and Dutch Heart of Man, they came back to me and they said, Hey, would you would you make these fights uh that are necessary? And somebody has to get thrown in a dumpster while they're unconscious, and we we don't know how to make it safe and doable and all that. And so, so after you know years of me playing superhero as a kid, I knew how to do like dump people in dumpsters and stuff like that. (laughs) 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 And um, so so we did it, and then they paid me. I did not. I did not know, expect to be paid, and I didn't know that I was being paid well. Uh, and 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 so I, I, since I had nothing to compare it to, I, I called up uh, some people who I knew who had done some fight direction, and I said, "Hey, uh, what do you get paid for a job?" And they were like, "Oh, we usually get you know this amount." And I was I was getting paid like a lot more and from lab. And so I was like, oh shit, I can I can make, I can make some money doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how it started. Yeah, I did. I did and that
0: was it, it was just, take, I mean, just, that's funny, cause you're second degree black belt, you know uh, but it is that martial arts training and known for that that people started to reach out to you and that's it, right? It's taking that and, and your childhood love of superheroes um, aside. Yeah. But it but it was that and yeah it's interesting because you know are you on your second show in a row at the Atlantic a uh, third. third third in a row well well
1: this season my yeah, third show that's this what I meant. season but but like yeah at the line, I've done a lot of shows yeah this, this I'm doing Claire Barron's it's called uh, <laughs> right now I started yesterday and. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I worked on uh, Love Letters by um, Ngozi and Wanyu. Uh, and then I worked on um, 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 Trimbley Kimbo, which is running right now. Uh, a yeah. musical with Victoria Clark, who's amazing in that.
0: So you start doing it. You do it through lab. You realize this can be a, another thing you do besides acting. And, yeah. And because now you... You start. You have Uncle Dave's Fight House, which is. I don't know if there's another company in New York that's a company. Like usually, people are hiring individuals, and maybe the individual has an assistant for fight direction. But you sort of created a team.
1: Yeah, well, there, there's a couple. There's a couple uh, companies, uh, but uh, they they don't. They're not doing it the way that I'm doing it. Like uh, uh, there's Sortilege of like Inc. Uh, Rick Sortile has his company uh, with his son. Uh, I think they're mostly working in film and television uh, right now, uh, largely on the West Coast. And then there's um, there used to be the Lady Cavaliers, which was an all women's uh, uh, stage combat company who specialized in you know rapier and dagger and sword work, but also did everything else. And um, then there was there's another one who. Uh, I haven't heard anything lately, so I don't know if they, they still are around. They were a young, young uh, group of people. I don't know their work, and I can't remember the name at the moment, uh, but they were around for a minute. But, but I formed a team um, basically because I was working a lot in regional theater as an actor. And so fight direction jobs would come in, and I wasn't able to do them because I wasn't around. And um, like I lost my first Broadway show um, which was G, uh, motherfucker with a hat, um, and um, you know uh, Anna Shapiro wanted somebody on set for for you know many visits, and 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 since I was doing a show, I was I was doing a show in Vermont, and and, and uh, they said you can you can leave for a couple of rehearsals uh, and and stay on our for your day off, and I offered that, and they were and and Anna was like, no, I, I really want somebody around more and so I realized uh I needed a team um um, and and it was Alfredo Narciso who like dared me to to do it because I was also still working a lot in bars and which was the hours were killing me and it was one time at like 4 30 in the morning we were on Facebook and um, I said you know what are you do he goes what are you doing up and I said I just got home from work and I said so like you know, I'm wired and tomorrow's gonna be shot cause I'm gonna be tired. And, and um, he says, um, you know, well, why don't, why don't you like stop working in bars? And, and I said, well, I need money. And he said, well, why don't you like go into fight direction as a business and get people to help you? And I said, but what if it fails? He goes, then you can go back to the bars. He says, the bars will always be there. If you fail, at least you tried. But if you succeed, who knows what can happen? And so it was based on that dare that it happened. And so um, I reached out to people I'd like to work with. And I immediately knew I I wanted to do things differently, just like how Lab was originally formed out of a reaction to, you know, death in the mating, saying there weren't um, actors of high enough level to Perform on stage, Latinx actors uh, to be in *Death of the Maiden*, and and I was like, you know, why why is fight direction always done by these tall white straight guys? And um, so, like, why can't it be like a short brown guy like me who's queer? And and um, so that's what I did. I, I picked people who who were either you know BIPOC or LGBTQ and or both, like me, and and that's. And they were also terrific actors and sometimes writers so that they approached the work the way i did which was dramaturgically and spoke the language of actors in terms of objective and intention and um so that's how we worked we worked a little differently because we were, we wore many hats and we had the lens of the world through you know uh walking through through life uh, as as other uh who experienced prejudice bias bias and, um, you know, um, racism and, you know, uh, homophobia and misogyny and all of the above. So that we understood the psychology of violence as well as choreography.
0: I really appreciate that. And I think that narrative, it's fun. It's interesting to hear you say all that because I think you, you, the vocabulary of violence, I think you bring that understanding to the work. I also, interesting, one of the things that I was thinking about also is you, it's interesting that you bring that perspective and you also have this, uh, not only Taekwondo, but you also have this spiritual sense to the work also that I think is really interesting. It's not just fight direction, but in your acting and your approach to the art. And I, I think the consciousness that you bring is really uh Impressive and great to collaborate because it deepens the work all the time. Uh, oh, well,
1: thank you. Uh, that that's that's. Thank you. <laughs>
0: um, I'm going to jump back a little bit. What what? You grew up in Texas. What what got you to New York? Um. <clears throat> well,
1: once I decided that I wanted to go into. Uh, at theater and 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 acting, I started reading a lot of, you know, magazines like Interview magazine, and and watching a lot of movies. Like I was really into like, I had a lot of artsy friends, uh, like my first year of college, uh, that turned me on to like the movies of like Richard Hell and and um, you know Lydia Lunch. And Andy Warhol, of course, and Stranger Than Paradise, and you know, and and they were all shot in New York. And and reading about the nightlife in New York and uh, groups like the Wooster Group and um, Ping Chong, uh, and I was just like, you know, that is that is like really it's like really rock and roll and and they often crossed over like like lydia lunch had a band and and richard hell was in the band too and so like so like rock and roll and punk and film and theater all kind of like meshed all over each other and 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 that's that was very exciting to me and um pop and all my favorite people were were like they they did acting but they also did like music and they also did like other things like Patty Smith was in plays with Sam Shepherd you know and and, uh Bob Glaudini directed them you know so I was just like this is that's exciting you know uh you know I want to I want to hang out with them and so I want to dance at Limelight and and Pyramid Bar and as a go-go boy and you know hang out with you know John Sex and Lady Bunny and that's what I did
0: Um, did you, when you got here, did you, did you, oh, yeah. did you, jump in the middle of all that?
1: Well, well, um, what happened was, uh, like, what happened was, that, <laughs> um, my, my, uh, I went to New York my first year, like, uh, with my friend, Lisa and Marty, and we came to New York and, uh, I had created, like, we had created these personas, like, my name was Benvolio Snugelheim, and hers was Amazonia. We, we essentially wanted to be club kids. And so we went on a mission to hunt down uh, and meet Andy Warhol. And so we did. We, 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 we came to New York, and they were like, oh, Andy's not, he's not on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast. But we, did, we saw Madonna um, just as she was leaving um, Love Saves a Day, and it was the year she got married to Sean Penn. And so, so we hit all the clubs in, in New York and then flew to L.A., we'd saved all our money and we flew to LA and when we got there we we just went to club after club and saying like is Andy here is Andy here and we acted like we were on the list and uh, finally we got to this place called Power Two and they're like, they're like yeah Andy and, and Keith are here which means Keith Haring and I said well I, I, I said well uh, Andy said we'd be on the list and and I said it with such conviction that they were like oh okay and they let us in <laughs> <laughs> even though I was both underage and not on any list anywhere
0: <laughs> but it doesn't mean you couldn't be
1: <laughs> and so I shoved my way through the entire crowd and, and I found Andy Warhol and then I, w- I made a beeline for him and I said I, I want to work for you my name is Benvolio Voli- ben Snugulagi uh, I will work for free uh give me a job and he was all like. Uh, who are you? And I was like, Benvolio Sinegawagi, I love you. I work for you for free. Give me a job. He's like, um, call me when you're in New York. And the way he said it, I was like, oh, it's dead. You know, it's dead in the water. <laughs> He's giving me the brush off. It's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You met him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then we, we, we finished the night dancing and left. Did, did you go back to New York? No, I went back to uh, uh, El Paso, where I was still in school, transferred schools to a school in New Mexico, and through them, they they, they would send me to New York every summer uh, to, to study at the Martha Graham School. And um, so I was training at the Martha Graham School while she was still alive, and she would come in and watch us and like shake her head in total <laughs> disappointment and dismay at how bad we were. And um, but we were always very excited to see her. She'd show up like with her big like buns on her hair and satin purple gown to the floor with opera length gloves, and and she would stare at us full face makeup.
0: Did they send you because they had a relationship, not because you were a dancer,
1: right? Uh, I I, well, I I I, because of my martial arts training, I kind of like was okay at dancing. I was never really good. Um, but I was, I was okay. I could jump really high and I was very flexible. Um, and, um, my dance teacher for modern dance, Juanita Berry, uh, was a former dancer for the, the Graham company as well as Pearl Lang and Batshiva, And she was in the original cast of King and I, um, and, and so she says, do you want to go to Martha Graham? Cause I can tell you really like it. And I said, yeah. And so she says, I can she picked up the phone, called the, the artist director at the time, which I think was Diane Free, Diane Gray. And she goes, Diane, I'm sending you a student, his name's Dave, put him in intermediate level, done. And I said, well, how do I pay for it? And she goes, oh, and he'll need a scholarship. And, she, and it was done. And then I said, well, how do I get there? And then she, she went to the, the chairman of the, the theater department. She said, buy him a plane ticket. And they did. And then the rest was up to me about finding a place to stay and and food and all that. uh, Yeah. uh, So I went to Martha Graham for two summers and um, they they totally uh, degraded and humiliated me and told me how terrible I was. (laughs) You have no turnout, no extension, no point, no line.
0: (laughs) And I said, I know. But you got to work with Martha Graham.
1: Well, I, I got to work with the company. Um, uh, as They were the teachers. And I was, the students were from all over the world and they were the best of the best. And I was the dumbest of the dumb in, in, the, in the intermediate class. I was barely intermediate level. And um, at the end of the second summer that I was there, she goes, you know, you'll never dance for this company. Uh, and was walking with me at the subway. She goes, you know, you'll never dance for us. I said, yes, I know that. She goes, you'll never dance for the junior company. You know that, right? I said, yes, I know that. She goes, but you know that you'll work. And I said, I know that too. And that was that.
0: Nice. And and that, that your understanding that you'd work and their understanding that you'd work, is that because of your discipline?
1: Largely my discipline and my imagination. Because um, one time... Um, she dragged me in front of the class and she said, uh, "David uh, has no skills whatsoever as a dancer, but when I tell him to fly across the room, he flies because in his imagination he's flying." And she goes, "She goes, leap across her, the the room now," and so I did. And and she goes, "He's flying because in his mind he's flying," and the class all like glared at me and hated me, and. Um, <laughs> But I felt like, I felt ridiculous.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad she had the belief and, um, and, and saw it. I also, you know, I'm also struck by the idea that you wanted to work with Andy Warhol and you went and met him, you know, because I think sometimes it sounds, uh, you know, it sounds insane, right? Like, yeah, oh, I want to go yeah, do this. I
1: was, I was stalking you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you hit the goal. And then you heard it in a real realistic way. But I think there's something to being that young and going for it. And then also, isn't it great that when he's when you heard him say, contact me when you're in New York, you went, that's not going to happen. Let me let me move to the next real thing. And, (laughs) And at what point does it turn to acting? Like, what point does it go from? Almost performance artist, Martha Graham College to like. Hey, I'm going to give this a, a serious go.
1: Well, well, uh, when I was uh, in El Paso, I, I was in the acting department, um, but it, it was my experience there was was it was very racist, um, and and they they basically told me they said the way you look, uh, which is very strange, uh, you'll never do anything except, uh servant roles Uh, and and i knew he meant that because i was i was mexican-american that 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 was that was where the buck would stop for me and so the next semester i transferred schools to a school in um, santa fe that had a bfa program i auditioned and and got in on scholarship so i was like how come here i'm i'm like i'm like They're saying yes, and and so I I majored I got I graduated with honors with a BFA at that school which was a private Catholic school, um, and they had a much better program. Uh, My teachers were like like Juanita had danced with the Graham School, um, you know, uh, Phil Chapman had uh, he he had helped to run the Lee Strasberg Studio, Um, um. you know, they were former artistic directors of the Dallas Theater Center there. Uh, they, they, they were, like, doing it still. My voice and articulation teacher, Gail Springer, she still had a band. And she, they were still on the tightrope. And we would go watch them perform. Juanita still danced. Phil still directed regionally. They were, they were still artists. They hadn't rested on their laurels like my school in El Paso. And, and so that's, that was my background training was in acting. Uh,
0: Isn't that interesting? You're right. Like I think the people who are still in it, doing it, have much more compassion and, you know, commitment, but also compassion to people who are beginning the journey of, you know, not wanting to limit either. I feel right now, coming out of the pandemic, the conversation of BIPOC inclusion is so, in the forefront of everyone's mind, we won't know if there's permanent change for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just say, prior to that, do you feel the dramatic difference?
1: I feel a difference, um, and and definitely, definitely don't get asked. Well, I know we're an having any in-person auditions hardly. I, I just had my first one um a couple weeks ago and um in in a year and a half. Uh but but like in the 90s when I was auditioning a lot, um I frequently got asked a lot of things I'm not supposed to be asked, like um where are you from? Where are your parents from? Uh, are you really uh you know, are you Puerto Rican, are you Mexican? They're not supposed to ask those questions. And and then I often got asked to like be more. They're like, "Can you do it more? Can you be more Mexican?" And 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 so I'd be like, "Oh, you mean like Speedy Gonzalez? And because I had you know because I'm kind of a smart ass. And and and, and they go, "Yes." And, so, <laughs> and I would say, "I could do that, but I'm not going to." See you later. And I w- I would walk out. And um, I got reprimanded by some fellow actors, actually. And they, they said, you know, David, you're going to have to learn to eat shit if you're going to make it in this business. And I said, well, you know what? I really don't like the taste of shit. So I don't know that that's, you know, that I'm going to do that. And and I, I kind of didn't. I always had this, like, like I'm not going to eat shit, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and... But it didn't, you know, it may have... <laughs> that not doing that may have taken away certain jobs, but I think it also kept your integrity in place. Yeah. And did you find a, it's funny because when I hear the pursuit, I mean, also knowing like black belt, knowing the discipline going Martha Graham, uh, there's a driven integrity that's in there. And I'm curious, like where did you find that home for it? Where did you first start to feel like, okay, I've I've got a I've got a place that I can work where those questions aren't going to be asked?
1: You mean once I got to New York?
0: Yeah, I think so because it sounds like the school is that. I mean, it doesn't sound like the Speedy Gonzalez comment sounds.
1: That was sound television sounds, auditions.
0: Sounds like professional. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: no, no, no. Uh, I the. The first the first place I felt anything like that was was in the very beginning of lab labyrinth. Um, when we were meeting in that, you know, derelict uh, black box space uh that Intar let us use for free. And we were we were just meeting on our own it was, you know, the we were just playing theater games and you know, once in a while. Somebody would write something like Stephen wrote a monologue waiting for the bus, and Liza started writing Sister Supreme. But it started; they started off just as monologues and exercises. Um, but but one time, um, John Ortiz was having us do this exercise where he he would say like, "I want you to imagine where you're going to be in 15 years, in the future, you know." 25 years in the future and you had you had to go in front of everybody and yell like your your dream vision of what you would be doing and and um that was very empowering um to 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 get up in front of people who looked like me and uh declare uh, my, basically my artistic vision and dream and and re- and we would all applause for each other. So to have that dream, like audibly, visibly, physically validated, and 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 that was when I I was just like, this is this is it. This is this is this is the home.
0: And um, I never left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that power. It's. <laughs> It's interesting because I think of that validation of you saying, putting it out into the world, and it's, it is finding your own tribe, you know, of, you know, Martha Graham is Martha Graham, Warhol is Warhol. Those are the ideas, right? And then you're lucky enough, not, not lucky because it wasn't without work, but then you found your own version of that. Yeah, And I I think, you know, I was thinking about it. It's funny when you were telling the Warhol story, all I kept thinking about is young artists who get this idealized version of something. Right. And they go to chase it. And that version is always something that happened before. Right. Right. They're not they're going to go join something that's already happened. And and I think like, oh, this is great. That's the moment of you actually creating the thing. Yeah. That's going to happen.
1: Yeah. That's that's the big difference. Yeah, you're right. Is because like the time to have been part of the Warhol crowd was was when they were at the factory, you know, when when it was you know Billy Name and and you know uh, the Velvet Underground was hanging out there, Nico and all that. That was the time. Uh, but by, by the time I found Andy, he had already been shot, and he was doing very different things. And you know, it wasn't the thing. But I got to work with you know some of the Warhol people like Penny Arcade, who became very very influential on me and and I I consider her a mentor and Taylor Mead and, and people who like that. Um, so, so I did, I did have like peripheral relationship to, to the Warhol circle. Um, but, but yeah, it's not the same as, as finding it and building it, uh, with the people, uh, together. Um, and then going going places where you never expected.
0: What's that mean going uh, places you never expected? I mean, I mean
1: from from working, you know, at night uh, in a in a beaten up little off-broadway space that was rat infested that we would ward off the rats with rows of candles and um, it was cold, you know, there was Blizzards back then in New York, we still had blizzards back then regularly, uh, and we would show up and um, you know warm ourselves up by doing exercises that David Devlinger would have us run around the room to warm up. Um, but so f- from that humble, uh, scrappy beginning, you know, uh, we we dreamed it, but 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 like actually, actually like thirty years later you know, our plays, our plays are published. Um, some of them have been turned into films, um, you know, where we're, the company is heading back to Broadway. It's been nominated for many awards. It's, it's, it's now um, kind of, a you know, it's, it's established. And, and so that was, that was, that was, you know, I, I, I don't know that any, I think maybe John, uh, really envisioned that the most Um uh, and and uh, but like I know I know like, it was still it was still always like a surprise and and like astonishing that like wow we, we, you know we're doing it <laughs> we got another play up, we you know we are we're we're on the non, the would list for this thing you know so, so like
0: yeah <laughs> Right, as opposed to Warhol where my name's not on the list, we're actually on the list.
1: Well, I just remember, like, you know, the first time, you know, we all went together to see Phil and Twister. And, and, and we were just like, we were just glowing with, you know, like one of us is, is like ascending. And, and when Daphne, when Rent took off and she invited a bunch of us to, to like, you know, uh, the final dress or opening, uh, it was just like it was just like magical and 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 so we we started to see like we we might we might do things <laughs> you know we're really we're moving and and so like it it was it was it was it was it was a very uh, and still is like like halfway but she was, was magical in its own way um so
0: yeah, it's a, it's amazing when that becomes a reality. I like the fact that you still say it like you don't take any of that for granted. Is that? Uh,
1: right? no. It can I end mean, at any moment. It can end at any
0: moment. Yeah. Is there a moment where you felt um, doesn't not about the theater company, but about your career or work, where you thought, "Hey, I uh, I'm going to stay. I know I'm going to stay," or there's or you got to the next level, however you want to define that.
1: Well, it was it was a couple different. As an actor, there was definitely uh, two defining moments for me. Um, one, um, with an arriving in, in New York, uh, I, I had a very large stroke of luck, and within a year, I had booked uh, a fairly uh, sizable TV job, and it 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 allowed me to get uh, become a member of SAG. At the time, it was only SAG, not sag after. And I remember when I went to the SAG office and they they gave me my card and they said, what do you want your stage name to be? Because there's already a David Martinez. And so I chose Anzuelo um, because I wanted to move from the middle of the alphabet to the front. <laughs> and, and, um, and so I chose that name and I remember just like walking down the street after i left the office with a, and I I couldn't stop staring at the card and it was like real. And I was like, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in a union. I'm in a, I'm in the club. This means I'm real. And, and so that was, that was, that was a moment for me that really like said, you, and, and I was, I was in, a, you know, the Drug Wars 2. I played a teenage assassin. So, like, I was riding around on motorcycles and shooting people with Uzis. And on, on one, you know, uh, on one level, people would say, like, oh, you're, you're a negative stereotype. But on the other level, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm also, like, a young gay guy who's being a badass. So, like, you can't fuck with me, this character, you know? And so, yeah, like, don't, like... Don't limit me. Yeah. And and you know so like I had a good time and I uh, I got cut out of the picture most of the time <laughs> I ended up with like one line, <laughs> but but I made some money and and uh, it I didn't work I didn't work in TV for two years after that I went back to theater uh, I couldn't get a job in TV I didn't book anything and. Um, so I thought, well, maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe that's that was my one shot, and at least I did it, and I can say I did it. But then I then I booked I booked more. Uh, it just took a while, and um, so so it happened. But as and then in theater, I did a show during this period of non working in TV. I, I went to Chicago, and I, I had auditioned for a play called Stand Up Tragedy by Bill Kane on my birthday. And after my audition, the director, Gary Griffin, said, uh, do you want to tell us anything? I said, well, it's my birthday. That's what I want to tell you. It's my birthday. And he goes, oh, well, happy birthday. And um, he says, you want a present? I go, yeah, I want a present. And he goes, you got the part. <laughs> and I got the part, the lead part. And and so the the, the, the show ended up uh, being nominated for Jeff Awards. And I won Best Supporting Actor. Uh, uh, against Steppenwolf, we tied. And, and so like, uh, they, they said, I don't know why it's Best Supporting Actor should have been lead, but um, uh, you got a nomination and I didn't know what it was. I was I, I've never heard, heard of the Jefferson Award. And they were like, well, and then it turned out like I got the night of the awards that I won. Um, and, and they were like, and I, and I was holding it. And again, that same feeling like this is like proof that that, I have something to offer.
0: Yeah. That was your first, was that your first job in Chicago? Like it's funny when you said I went to Chicago, did you go to live in Chicago or did you go out for that play or?
1: I went out for that play. Um, They had the audition in New York and, and then they brought me out to Chicago to do the play. And then, and then it did well.
0: Because I looked and, and I remembered actually that you had gotten the Jeff Award, which I don't think until the late 90s or so did I know what a Jeff Award was either, because um, I live here. And that's a huge deal. But it is both of those things are like mile marks, you know, like the, the union card. It is. It's that stamp of like, I'm in. I like I, something. And it's an internal thing that's just a recognition of your work. And I think the award is the same thing, right? It's not, the awards don't necessarily change the trajectory of your life.
1: No, 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 no. It's, it's, I saw it more as um, like, like when I, you know, coming from a martial arts gymnast background, and I would go to tournaments and, and I would win a trophy. And so it was, I looked, I always looked at it like my teachers always said, this doesn't mean, um, that like you're a star. It means uh, that you you you. It, it's a, this is like like encouragement. Is how they put it. They said this is encouragement uh, to keep working hard. And and so I always saw things like that as like encouragement from the universe, saying like keep doing this. Um, and here's a little something. Um, to tell you like we're watching you and, and you should, you should continue.
0: Yeah. That extra, that, that, those moments of encouragement and keep going, you know, that, that's, Yeah. that's, that's vital because, because it's not always easy.
1: It's not always easy.
0: You know, yeah. like you said, you got the one job and then you didn't work in TV and film for two years and yeah. you know, it that's normal. Um, yeah. You know
1: yeah yeah and it was all happened at once because like I got that tv job and and then I did not work for those two years but those two years I it was 1992 and, and I had I had auditioned for Labyrinth and I got in and I was working for Penny Arcade and I danced in her show for nine months and I, I, I booked the show in Chicago and it did well in my first regional job and I had to join equity and it was all in the year of 1992 and 1993 just so many things happened at once very quickly one after another. And, and I was just like, you know, just struggling to like, keep up. Um, and, and so like, if I know some of, some, some of those things like get spread out over like five or seven years and it all happened in one year. So it was, it was kind of breathless.
0: I know what it was breathless for me,
1: you know, it was yeah. just like, what's happening just go just go
0: (laughs) just go well that and that just go is a foundation for that that foundation to sustain you for a while you know of like oh I know that I belong so I don't have to question that even if while I belong to supplement this income I'm going to be working in bars and doing different things yeah Um, and I love that you you took Alfredo's dare dare, and is that the, is that is that when you stopped at that dare? Is that when you decide when you fully started making your living through art?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I took the dare and it paid off, and um, you know after that is all I did was act, fight, direct, direct, write, and. Occasionally teach.
0: And, and occasionally write.
1: Uh, yeah. This year I wrote a lot. Uh, so, so yeah, and paid for it. And, and so, like, you know, that yeah. was, again, I, I see that as encouragement from the universe.
0: No, it's definitely encouragement. And I'm also, you know, we had, funny, I was thinking about Martha Graham telling you when you picture flying, flying. <laughs> that Dave thinks he's flying. Uh, I do, I think, and you said, teach. And I think of, and I don't, I think of the shamanic workshop. Oh yeah. And, and I, I sort of brought it up a little earlier, but like, it seems like that sense of belief in yourself, I want to say in yourself, but actually something bigger. And that awareness has carried with you at all times and seems to be imp- seems to be important. It is, it's effective and impactful to me, uh, working with you, um, knowing that not only do you carry that with you at all times, but you share it. And I'm just curious what that spiritual work on whatever level does for you, or, or do you, do you recognize how you put it into practice through theater?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had some wonderful mentors and teachers and, 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 you know, I mean, going back to Martha Graham, um, you know, one of the things she said is that famous quote um, is, is uh, it's not our job to judge how good it is what we're doing. It's our job to do it, to simply be the the vessel, the the radio receiving the message from, from above, from the divine. And do it, and, and deliver the message, and um, and then I I watched a documentary one time where um, they were talking about um angels and 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 new neutrinos, and they said if there's anything in the world that can probably be called angels, it's neutrinos, which are these tiny particles, and so many you know can, there's like an, an fathomable number can fit on the pin of a head that's how tiny they are. but they're immensely powerful and they're everywhere. Um, and so uh, they somehow in the description of it said, isn't it amazing that these neutrinos play such an important part in the magnificent unfolding of the story of, of humanity And it, it just like hit me uh, that like oh you know that's that's what it, we're doing. We're storytellers who recount the magnificent unfolding of the universe. And that's our job, birds fly, fish swim, and humans tell stories, whether it's, whether it's a song or a poem or a play or a television, we're telling stories because that's what we do, that's what we're designed to do. Our imaginations and brains need stories and we need to understand the world and the universe around us and ourselves each other and that's what we're doing we're telling stories and those things all kind of like started like pressing in on me and um and and they solidified uh when i started working with peter sellers in 1994 and his uh, tour of the merchant of venice and i was i was at this point where i was questioning a lot of things just two years after i had that amazing year in 1992 and i I said well you know i'm just I don't know that, you know, I said, you're doing big things, Peter. You, the world sees you on world stages. I said, I'm doing little things, you know, uh, and, and he says, um, let me ask you a question, David, with his little sticking up hair. And he goes, let me, let me ask you a question. Um, if there's this hermit in a cave and he's, he's saying prayers every day, if he stopped, would the world diminish? Would it, would it lose something? I go, yes. He goes, well, you're the little hermit in the cave. Don't stop praying. And so that's, that's when I I really understood, you know, it's, 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 I don't matter and nothing I do really matters in the long run, but it's very important that I do. it, Um, And that's kind of a Buddhist concept. uh, uh, You know, You're given life. You're given a period of energy to exist in the world. You're given a mind to comprehend things and imagination to envision and create things. And time to do it. Don't fuck it up. Go do it. Do it to the best of your ability. And and then when you're done, you've done your job. You've done your duty. And you can go away.
0: I think that's great. And I think the I think recognizing it's funny that we think people are doing great things and we don't know that we're doing great things because we're the guy in the cave. You know, but yeah. it's great, but it's great to us. It's important to us. We have to do it. Like you said, we're built storytellers. We have to do it.
1: Um, it's a compulsion. Yeah.
0: Well, compulsion, it's funny because I'm like, yeah, it is a compulsion. And at the same time, it's compulsion, but because it's necessary, because like you said, that's what we do. And that's how we, it's not only how we contribute, but it's necessary. And I think that story is great. And it actually lines up. It's interesting that you, you so connected to 1992 and then having two years and then having that conversation and- I'm wondering when you go into when you're working now, fight director, actor, director, teacher, I feel like you carry it with you. Have you carried that idea with you since 94? What do you what do you carry with you into the room that anytime you're going to work today that maybe you didn't when you first were flying to L.A. knocking on the door of Warhol being (laughs) on the list?
1: Well, I, I think I think there's there's two things that I definitely carry in with me. Well, maybe three. One is experience. Um, you know, I have I have done I have a little bit of experience. I've done some things, so I know I know it you know the the project gets completed somehow. It, like everyone's by sheer force of will sometimes makes makes the play or film or, or you know, music concert happened, and and uh, so there's that experience that it's going to work out. It's going to work out. It may, you know, it, what that means is, is different each time, but it's going to it's going to work out. Um, and then I have the history of all those teachers um, telling me those things like you don't it's you you don't really matter, but it's important that you do it. And, and so like, that's what I go in with, like, like, this is the doing is important. And, and so let's do it and do it, bring your A game uh, as much as you can that day, each and every day, Um, you know? And um, so that, that's, that's what I take into the room um, no matter how, you know, tired or nervous or doubtful I am, then, then I just like, you know, this This, this is the shot. This is the opening. This is the job. Uh, Don't fuck it up.
0: I think it's great. The thing that struck me when you were just talking that really hit me was it's very easy to get lost and tell yourself that it doesn't, what you're doing is not important. There's so many other people doing it. There's, you know, and just, if you can hold on to that phrase, but it's important, you do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you can hold on to that, cause it's true. I think it's important that you do it. Not only, you know, is that each individual does what they're called to do or what they feel compelled compulsion, you know, compelled to do is uh, it's true because it's easy to, it's easy to compare and say, you know, Hey, Peter, sellers on this global stage who's doing a world tour of Shakespeare unlike anyone else's production of Shakespeare you know you're a global unique artist why do I matter and it's like well because you do
1: yeah it, it, it was it's it's it was just so again uh, uh, you know an artist mentor I, I, I considers him a an instrument, you know like like definite mentor in, in the development of how i thought of things um, in terms of work and and yeah it's just so it, the doing is everything and like like you know like you know when i think about some like I, I sometimes i go should i should i bother maybe i don't write anymore not maybe i'm not a director anymore maybe i'm not an actor anymore, and um uh then then like something will happen and they'll say like Dave, would you write for this 24 hour virtual monologues or uh you know uh, oh you got a call back for this job and I'm like, oh okay, they're, they're telling me it's not done yet. my job is not done yet um so don't don't lay down your working tools yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet I like that they're as long as they're always around or at least in the belt, you know, you're okay. Yeah, you lay and, them
1: down when you're dead, apparently.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think it goes away. It may shift, you know. You may never have thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm you know, I'm gonna be the fight director on you know, a national live television musical of Annie. Yeah. You know. Uh, but it happens and and it evolves, you know. Uh that's what I you know, it's interesting is that's also what I see is, is it evolves constantly is to, you know, I may not write again. Well, or I may write something different.
1: Yeah. You and know. you start to see like the connections, like like I was in the room because of Lear and uh, the director, Lear de Bessigny, and and I was in the room because of her and she thought I had something that would be helpful. But it was because we had we had crossed paths before. And so I said, Oh, okay. Our journeys continue to intersect. And, 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 you know, you're on your journey, she's on her journey, but like once in a while we'll come together and join forces and, and and do something. And, and you start to see that repeatedly, like, like, like the intersection between you and me and, and, and we work on things periodically and we talk about things periodically and and those those intersections, the dots being connected, uh, really become kind of like this amazing constellation of stars. And, and then then you realize, oh, that's what I'm part of. I'm part of you know the constellation of Orion. I'm, I'm not just you know that. I'm like the third star in the belt or something like that, or even the, the star to the left of the belt, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a much, it's a much bigger thing than, than you ever could conceive of. And, and um, it just goes back to the power of creation and imagination. It's just, it's very, it's humbling.
0: Very humbling. And I think you're right about the greater, I like the Orion, you know, I like that We're all part, you know, Takes one of the star, you know, you're one little faint star on that whole thing. But when you look at it, there's the hunter, you know, yeah. because yeah. everything's together. And I also think um, it's interesting when you when you said, "Oh, Lear saw something in you and brought you into the room." And I thought, right, it is those experiences that you can't quite define what it is where they say, "Oh, that's the right person to be in the room." But there's an, you almost have to trust that there's an essence and that just because, you know, you're not talking to that person today, it doesn't mean you didn't leave an impact and that you had a significant relationship with them, you know, just just through working twice together in those opportunities. And I was actually thinking about you and I and going, you know, yeah, when you think like, oh, Dave would be great at that. You know, it's it's because, oh, yeah. because of the interaction with each other.
1: Yeah, I re- remember that little uh, one act play uh, that you directed, and and I it was like in a comic book store, and, and I played I got to play a comic book, you know somebody works at the store, and I got to wear like my Ramones T-shirt with the sleeves cut off, and I was like, I'm not I'm not a fucking servant. I'm rock and roll. I'm I'm reading. I'm I'm am a guy selling comic books, and you know, he he, you know, he has a story. And, yeah. I, You know that that was that was some people would say it was just a little small project, but uh, it was it was very exciting and fun to uh, embody that character because uh, it was always the kind of character I wanted to embody.
0: <laughs> well it's funny because I remember actually that, that conversation of that project stuck with me a long time we talked about comic book obsession which I did not have I had a I had a relationship to them but I didn't have the obsession and and there was always a definition around that you know kids who were in comic books then but somebody said well what's the difference between the comic book obsession versus my baseball obsession and I thought not, not much. No. You know, and you realize like, right, everybody's passion is their passion. I heard you really resonate with mentors that made it an impact on you. Did they make it and they, and they did things. It was really interesting to hear about the teacher making the phone call. And I, I think extending themselves is important. And I also, Heard just the advice that lands internally—that's really nice about you're supposed to do this. It matters that you do it, um, and I just wanted to acknowledge that I appreciate both of those because I know when you call somebody a mentor, it because it resonated and stuck with you, and they may have stuck with you one-on-one, but they definitely got you to another level. Yeah, work, and um, I just really appreciate you acknowledging that, but. Then I'll go back to do you Do you have advice? Do you have things that you think about? Like I wish I had done this when I was younger, or today's world is so different. I would think about, I would tell somebody starting this today. Well, it's it's
1: sometimes it's really hard, um, like because sometimes, sometimes I didn't, I didn't realize uh, that my mentors were my mentors at the moment. But now, now that I'm very old, <laughs> uh, I, I, I start to recognize moments where, where like an unexpected event happens with, with an interaction with a person that draws specific attention to them. Like, like we, we, we turn a corner and crash into each other or um, there's some sort of convoluted word misunderstanding and it, and it derails our conversation for a second. And, and it seems like a glitch in the matrix sort of thing. And I'm, I'm like, before I would just dismiss it and not recognize it at all. Now I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to pay attention to this person. This person is going to like really teach me something. And I wish someone had told me that when I was a lot younger to, to watch out for those, those points of, of, of attention, those glitches, um, that they're meaningful. And, and, and sometimes when you're knocking heads with someone, uh, they're actually teaching you something very important. And, and, um, it's not the lesson that is apparent and, and, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a real gift. So that's what I, I would, I would offer.
0: Oh, that was great. It's great to talk to Dave. And, uh, you know, I like the wrap up that he had there about, you know, conversations that might make you feel like you're not in sync or something like hit you in a way that sort of stops you, and to just pause and pay attention, because they may be valuable lessons, or like I was saying in the beginning, you know, they may be a door opening that he was having with his mentors, but uh, also, you know, just the idea of the fight direction coming, somebody asking him, do you know how to do this? Yes, I do. I also loved the thing as I sit there, and it's very funny, I got a comment on, I also forgot to say in the intro that I did not have COVID, but I had a cold when Dave and I talked and I could really, really glad for the conversation. But it's uh, that cold lasted forever and was not COVID uh, tested negative. But it's, you know, it's funny. I think anybody gets a cold or you sneeze, you immediately start to think, oh, no. So I'm grateful that so far all is good. But going back to what Dave said, I was going to comment on the Peter Sellers comment about, you know, it's important that you do it, and I think it it's good as we're uh, mainly when I'm thinking about the shifting ways that we do theater, how we create content, how we're getting our art in the world, how how we're experiencing it. You know, we can always put it on the scale of is it huge? Is it a, a you know a, a global recognition? Or is it for this intimate audience of small group of people that I know? And it's like, and, you know, we can be aspirational for what we want it to be. But I think the most important thing that I heard is that it's important that you do it. And it's good to remember, especially, especially as we're trying to make a plan for, like, how are we going to do it? And what are we going to do? And what's, you know, is there... I, I keep thinking about, like, what does the early career artist need is the farm theater at this time, and, you know, it's listening to that, but also what I think they need, what what I need is to remember that it's important that we do it, that we participate, that if you're a writer, you write, if you're an actor, you act, and that you figure out ways to do it, and we'll, we'll worry about how it gets recognized you know, later, because I think, like Dave, with the fight direction, it grew into something from a one opportunity. If you have the skill set, to being, and uh, you know, Annie Live the musical on TV, and uh, gone to and everywhere in between, and I think we can, you, it will surprise you where it takes you, and and I think that's good to remember, and just to remain open. So again, Dave, thanks so much for the conversation. So so glad to get to talk to you and. And uh, always grateful when we get to work together as well. I also wanted to say at the end of the year, the farm did a fundraising campaign and I'm grateful to everybody who contributed and people who can't contribute money just know that you listening to the podcast and sharing it and, and just um and and being involved in the community in any way is really appreciated and I'm grateful that we are doing this together. So I hope everybody continues to be healthy, wishing you the best in 2022. And with that, we're out.